One of the things I learned a long time ago is you really do learn a lot about people if you ask a lot of questions. And here's why. Your favorite subject to talk about is you. And I can and don't, I'm not judging you. That's my favorite subject too. So we love to talk about us and, and all this other stuff. And so I love to ask questions, especially this time of year, because you can kind of tell what people are thinking and feeling and what's in their heart if you ask the right questions. This, for example, is a great question. What do you, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? Not a great question? It's supposed to be a great question. What I want for Christmas is this TV to come on. That's a, no, that's the lyrics to the song. This is what you call winging it. Um, this, this is, this is, I'm a professional, so, bam. Make stuff happen around this. Anyway, what do you want for Christmas? Um, it, it, it really is a great question. Now, for me, I mean, people are asking me that as a pastor, you don't have to get me anything, but if you do want to give me something, there's a list on my Facebook page of 47 things. And no, I'm just kidding. I, there's not. All I want is a Jeep. And so, and, and listen, listen, don't get me the toy Hot Wheels Jeep. I, I've been getting them for 10 years, and it was funny 10 years ago. It's not funny now because I got a box full of these stupid Jeeps that I don't know what to do with, okay? Just a red Rubicon with a hard top and 2019 or 2020, if you just love Jesus. Anyway, um... <laughs> I, that, that's what I want for Christmas, but everybody, and, and I love the people like, oh, don't get me anything, which means you better get me something nice. That, that's what that means. But recently I was talking to, a, um, to just a group of people and there's a little six-year-old girl there and her, her family had kind of gone to see Santa that day and the mom kind of got distracted and didn't hear what the little girl told Santa. So that, so that night we're sitting at the table and I looked at the little girl and I said, so what do you, what do you want for Christmas? She said, a cell phone and a laptop. Six. And I'm like... Wow, a little entrepreneur, aren't we? And uh, so I just kind of looked at the mom like, uh, what are you going to do about that? And the mom said, oh, sweetie, um, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure Shannon's going to be able to do that. And she said, oh, yeah, I'll talk to him. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I cracked up laughing because um, I, I don't know how to handle that situation right there. But it's a great question. Now, I started thinking about this question earlier this week about, and we all think materially, but like if you, like spiritual if you could have something spiritually for Christmas, what would it be? And one of the things I would love is peace, just on earth. Like the angels told the shepherds, peace on earth, goodwill to me. If we could just have peace for a day, I don't even want a week. If we could have peace for a day, the news networks would have nothing to talk about because we would have, can you imagine a world where we could get the Democrats to stop attacking Trump and Trump to stop using Twitter just for a day. That would bring so much peace to the world. See, see, see what I did there? I'm an equal opportunity offender, right? Some people are like, what about the libertarians? They're all high. They don't care. If we could just get peace on earth, if we could get people not to look at other people through racial stereotypes or preference stereotypes, if we could just have it for a day, I believe it would change the world. But we said in week one of this series that we can't have peace on earth until there's peace in me and until there's peace in you, until we have personal peace, that there can't be peace on earth because there's no peace around us because there's no peace in us. So this series has been all about the peace of God and peace on earth. And today's walkaway point that I want you to walk away with, and we're going to spend the next 
two or three hours, because this is 1130 service. I'm just kidding. About an hour. We're going to spend about the next 45 minutes talking about this, because this is a concept that if you don't get anything else I say today, I want you to get this. I want us to walk away with this, because this is something that God has been pouring into me over and over and over again over this past week as I've been preparing for this message. Peace is not an absence of problems, but rather perspective on how the story ends. Peace is not an absence of problems. Peace is not, God, I don't, I'm not going to have any problems, because guess what? We live in a world full of human beings. There's always going to be problems. You're going to have problems. I'm going to have problems. We're going to have problems. Peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is perspective that at the end of the day, we know how the story ends. Now, you may push back on me, and I would understand this if I were in maybe your situation, and you say, actually, I don't know how my story ends. I'm in the middle of a situation that sucks, and I don't know how the story ends. So what do you have to say to that? I would say, I agree. I don't know specifically how your story is, but I know who's writing your story, and he works out all things for his glory and our joy and our good. So at the end of the day, while I might not know the specifics, I know how our story ends, and at the end of the day, we can have peace. Now, I'm a list person. Any list people in here, you love to make lists? Yeah, 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 those are the geniuses. So I love to make lists, and I listed out things that I believe rob us of the peace of God. And, I, and then what I'll do is I'll narrow it down and narrow it down and narrow it down. And because I'm from a Baptist background, I like to get to three points because Baptists are three points, poem and a prayer, and we're done. But I, 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 I backslid and have four, all right? So, so I've got four, four things, really, that rob us of the peace of God. And this comes out of the ministry of Jesus, which at the end of the day, you can say anything you want to about Jesus, but this was a man that completely walked in the peace of God, though peace was never surrounding him in his circumstances or his situation. So let's talk about this. The first thing that can rob us of the peace of God is a hard heart, a hard heart. Now, let me define what a hard heart is so we all have the same working definition. A hard heart is someone who is unwilling to to accept the work of God in and through their life. A hard heart is somebody that, that knows what God wants to do in them and through them and says no. Now, I'm going to surprise you with this, and then I'm going to back it up with proof. The more religious your background, the more likely your heart is to be hard. In the scriptures, the people that had the hardest hearts were the most religious people on the planet. People that are, let's be honest, let's be honest. When it comes to Christianity, most of us, I didn't say you, I said us, we're educated way beyond our level of obedience. It's not that we don't know what to do. It's many times in my own life, and maybe your life too, you've had a hard heart and you've just simply said no. Let let me me show you this. I want to prove it to you. Um, There's... This is a crazy story out of the gospel of Mark. This is, this is insane. Watch this. Mark chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says this. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Now, reading that verse, we would just skip right over it, but we need to pause and understand a couple things about Jewish culture during this time period. If you had a physical deformity of any kind, you were not allowed to go into the tabernacle or the temple or even, in many cases, the synagogue. 
And so the fact that this man was there with a deformed hand meant most likely that he was trying to hide what was wrong with him so he could be accepted by the people in the synagogue. Because if the people in the synagogue discovered that he had a deformed hand, they would have kicked him out of the synagogue, and so he tried to hide it. You ever tried to hide something from somebody? I, I love walking around. I love walking around at Clemson games and just walking up on tailgates of people that I know. Talk about people trying to hide stuff. <laughs> oh, Jack Daniels was my friend. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. He's from Tennessee, isn't he, right? Um, there was one guy, I swear to God, I'll never forget this. He, he was smoking, and I walked up on him, and he stuck his cigarette like behind his leg and stood like this and was like, hey, what's up, Pastor P? I was like, I'm great, but, like, your leg's on fire. Uh, <laughs> we try to hide stuff. And, and listen, I understand it. I understand it because a lot of us feel like, well, let me just say it this way. There's very few people on this planet that know everything about you. And I understand. Because the fear is, if people knew you, you'd get kicked out. And so we would rather hide it than face rejection. Because being rejected, let's just all be honest, it absolutely sucks. And so this man goes into the synagogue. I, I admire his courage. Because he walked into the synagogue messed up, deformed hand, and he's trying to hide. But Jesus notices. See, the things that we can hide from other people, we can't hide from Jesus, which shouldn't scare you. Oh my gosh, have you heard that message before? You can't hide it from God, and God's going to cut you down. Okay, Johnny Cash, thank you very much. It was a great song, but it's horrible theology. Because Jesus didn't try to cut any. If Jesus wanted to cut you down, you would have gotten cutting down by now, right? So, so something's going on in this story. Because there's this man in the synagogue. His hand is deformed. He's not supposed to be there, but something drew him in anyway. And he's looking around going, I don't fit in. He's trying to hide his hand. And then verse 2 says, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies. Let me pause real quick. That's the category I never want to be put in. Jesus's enemies. Talk about a bad team to pull for. Lots of stuff I could say there, but I'm going to skip it. Um, Jesus's enemies watched him closely. Okay, have you ever thought about this? They're so religious, and they're so good, and they're so perfect that they're watching Jesus to see if he messes up. Any, anybody see a little bit of irony there? Hey, watch that Jesus guy. I know he walked on water, but, I mean, I got a cousin that pulled that off one time. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I mean, I mean I, and I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So they're watching him to see if he messes up. By the way, religious people do that. Religious people are obsessed with you. They watch you to see if you mess up. Religious people take the Bible and they use it as binoculars to look at other people when we should actually use it as a mirror to look in our own lives, right? That's why every once in a while, that, hey, I'm wearing a hat today. 
Somebody asked me, why do you wear a hat? I'm like, because there's this lady on Facebook. <laughs> Y'all think I'm kidding. If you'll go back, if you've been here, I wear a hat about once every two months, right? And I think it's time to piss her off again. So I put on the hat. <laughs> I didn't say that in any of the other services. So if you're watching, ma'am, and you don't, and thank you for watching. We have a Christmas offer. Anyway, there's, now watch this, watch this. If he healed the man's hand, which can we agree would be a miracle? Yes or no? Watch this. They planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. See, there was a rule in the Ten Commandments. It's kind of a big deal. One of the commandments is, you know, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So they took some rules and they made other rules on top of those rules. And one of the rules was you can't heal on the Sabbath. How ridiculous is that? Did you make rules upon rules? See, that's the dangerous thing about religious people is they can't use the Bible to back up what they're thinking, but they do have a verse. And I can take a verse out of the Bible and make it say anything I want it to say. I really can. I really can. I had somebody try that with me one time. You think it's okay to smoke pot? I was like, well, technically, technically it's illegal in the state of South Carolina. Well, the Bible said God made seed-bearing plants. He did. Pretty sure weed was not the intention of that verse. But you see what I'm saying? If you're smoke weed, I just, just do it in Colorado or whatever. By the way, the people on Facebook in Colorado are so nice. <laughs> They're always eating Doritos. So anyway, stick to the plan, Perry. Stick to the plan. So they're planning to accuse him. Now watch this. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. You ever had an oh crap moment? Like, like where you just got you just got called out. Like, like when you're riding down the road the very first time you saw the blue lights in the rearview mirror, or you were having the party and your parents weren't supposed to come home till Sunday and they came home on Saturday right in the middle of the party. You're like, I don't know what all these people are doing here, right? This is this is this man, he is mortified. Because he's he's kind of in the back and he doesn't really want anybody to know he's there and he's got this physical deformity and everybody already looks down on him and Jesus calls him out. But we said this last week, Jesus isn't trying to tear you down. Jesus is trying to build you up. So anytime Jesus is calling us out, he's calling us into something greater than we're currently experiencing because that's the God that we follow. That's who he is. That's what he does. So he called the man before him. He said, come up here and stand in front of everyone And at this moment, this man thought, it's over, I'm caught, I'm busted, I'm getting kicked out, I'll never be accepted again. We've all felt that in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Then it it, it, here's the fun, it just gets crazier. Watch this. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. They wouldn't answer him. 
what can you what can you say to Jesus? Now, would you agree that laws are good? Yes or no? Yeah, I I, I agree. Yeah, some. Somebody said some. I agree. Some. Like I'm all in favor of the speed suggestion, speed limit. Sorry. <laughs> it's a great recommendation for other people, right? But let's say let's say that one of your family members or your best friend or even your child is has been cut and is bleeding pretty bad and you got to get them to the ER are you going to break the speed limit to do it yes or no yeah and if somebody talks smack to you about breaking the speed limit in order to heal somebody are you going to go oh i'm so sorry that offended no you know what they need to go to the ER when i'm done with them right so so jesus is calling them out on their hypocrisy he's like hey, is this a day of doing good or doing evil like you guys are doing, like judging, judging this man right here? That's evil. He's calling them out. Don't miss that. And then, then this happens, and it gets crazy. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Now, just a real quick question here, real quick question before we move on. Here's your group of religious people. Here's the man with the deformed hand. Religious people, man with the deformed hand. Who does the Bible say Jesus is angry with? Religious people. And deeply saddened. Why? They're hard hearts. They weren't open to the work of God, and here's why. It didn't fit in to their system. And religious people don't mind if miracles happen as long as it fits within their system. But they would rather this man had left their church service with a deformed hand rather than him walked out healed because in order for him to be healed, they would have had to drop their religious traditions. Hard heart. This is some deep stuff, isn't it? I've never said that about anything I've said. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. Now, think about this. Think about this for a second. Because we read the Bible and we know what happened. But think about you're the man in that situation. Jesus has just called you up in front of everybody. And he's asked you to hold out your hand. What are you thinking Jesus is trying to do? Shame you. You're thinking Jesus is trying to expose me. Jesus is trying to shame me. Jesus is trying to get me kicked out. But once again, we said Jesus doesn't tear you down. He builds you up. So the, he didn't say, hold out your hand and you'll be healed. Hold out your hand and great things will happen. He just said, hold out your hand. And the man, for some reason, we don't know other than he did not have a hard heart. He took Jesus at his word. And as he held out his hand, Mark tells us, so the man held out his hand and it was restored. Because he didn't have a hard heart. Now, how do hard-hearted people respond to a miracle? The next verse, the next verse, the very first time I read it and really understood it, I had I, I literally stopped reading and just just read it over and over again for five to ten minutes because I couldn't wrap my mind around this. Because if this happened, like in this church, and somebody's had a deformed hand and it was healed, could would would you think that maybe we could celebrate that? Yes or no? Yes, good, good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Watch how they responded. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. 
Anybody think that might might little overdoing it? Like Clark Griswold with the with the Christmas lights, right? Is a little 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 doing it? Now here's what's crazy. Think about this for a second. In the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments is "Thou shalt not kill." Don't miss this. Religious people don't mind breaking God's commandments when you break theirs. Think about that. Religious people don't mind breaking God's commandments when you break theirs. All because of a hard heart. If you have a hard heart, you're going to miss out on the peace of God. The most horrible thing about the Pharisees is they completely missed out on the peace of God. Which leads to reason number two that we miss out on the peace of God is control. I've got control issues. I admit it. Anybody struggling with control issues like me? Yeah. Okay, the real people that have control issues, you didn't raise your hand. Because you're like, you're not controlling me. I'm not raising my hand. <laughs> like, we talk about this a lot. So, because this is kind of a therapy session for me, especially this service. Um, traffic. Traffic. You get angry in traffic. Nobody, nobody here today has said, you know what, it's Sunday. I haven't been stuck in traffic for a long time. I'm going to drive down to Atlanta and hope that somebody's windshield wiper fell off their car because four million people will stop and look at that windshield wiper and we'll be at a standstill for four hours. Nobody said that. I get stuck in traffic. I scream. I cry. I cuss. I, and, and that was just yesterday. Like, like traffic. But you know, you, know why we don't, you know why we ultimately hate being stuck in traffic? It's very simple. It reminds us we're not in control. That's when I get behind checkbook coupon lady at Publix, right? It reminds me I'm not in. I want to be in control, man. I will pay for your groceries. Just go, but then, I, but like I'm not in control. You know why? It's either the terrible two, threes, or fours uh, with your kids, depending on what age. It's the age when they finally understand that the world does not revolve around them. Listen, control is the greatest illusion in the universe. You have so little control. You didn't control the day you were born. You won't control the day you die. You didn't control who your parents were. You didn't control who your brother and sisters are. You might have made a change in that area. You didn't control where you were born. You didn't control most of the life-altering circumstances in your life. You had no control over. And the two things that we freak out the most about, the future and other people, are the two things we have the least control over. But religious people don't miss this. Following Jesus is about freedom. Religion is about control and manipulation. Always. I'm going to prove it to you. Some of you are like, hey, you are on a... Yeah, I'm, I'm all over this. I'm all over this. So, so Jesus, we, we did a series on it not too long ago called Dead Man Walking. Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. Could we all agree that's a miracle? Yeah, of course. You go to a funeral, turns into a party. Everybody's getting crunk and doing the nae nae at the end of the funeral. Like it's it's I, that's that didn't ha- that probably didn't happen. So Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead, and 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 John tells us this. He said many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, which I can understand. I was like, I don't know, I don't know about this Jesus guy. Lazarus, come forward. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know what? I'm in. I believe him. I, he's, he is who he said he is. Because when you see something like that, it just changes you, right? Wrong. Watch this. But some went to the Pharisees 
and told them what Jesus had done. Can you imagine tattletaling on Jesus? Pharisees, Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. I can hear it in my mind. I read the Bible way different, okay? <laughs> Watch this. Then the leading priest and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do, they ask each other. Throw a party? Throw a celebration? A dead guy came back to life? Maybe? Watch this. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. Thank you, Captain Obvious. But then we get down to the real problem. If we allow him, which, by the way, is the most, if we allow him, we allow Jesus. If we, and Jesus is sitting there going, I spoke you into existence. This will be like your four-year-old going, hey, mom, dad, I might allow you to watch TV tonight. Jude, look back at that. I might allow you to eat next week, right? I mean, if you want to play this game, you want to play this game for real? If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. In other words, we lose control. And then watch what they watch their greatest fear. Watch this. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. In other words, if we just, we just take care of this Jesus problem, then the Roman army will leave us alone. Which, by the way, in 60 AD, the Roman army did come in, and they did destroy the temple, and they did destroy the entire city of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem and Israel ceased to exist as a nation until 1948. Isn't it amazing how much control we don't have? So watch this. From that time, so from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. Hey, guys, we're going to kill Jesus. Why? He brought a guy back from the dead. Good reason. Wait. He brought a guy back from the dead and we're going to kill him? Yes. Because religious people would rather the dead stay dead if, the, if raising them from the dead breaks their traditions. And... And in that, now, here's the thing. If you knew somebody wanted to kill you, now, I know there's some people, I, I just, nah, like a group of people, a mob of people wanted to kill you. Personally, I'm going into hiding. What about you? I'd go face them. No, you wouldn't. I don't care how many guns you got, Bubba. You, I mean, if a group of people <laughs> wanted to kill you, you're not John Wick. You can't kill everybody. I have no idea where that came from. That just literally slipped out. But you know what Jesus does? Just a few, just a few, few, few days later, he gets on a donkey and rides down Main Street in Jerusalem around all the people that wanted to kill him. You know how you do that? You're full of the peace of God. Oh, yeah, I know they want to kill me. Here's the thing. I know how the story ends. Because I know how the story ends, I'm not even worried about it. That's the peace of God. I'm not in control. God's in control. They said they're going to kill me. I'm moving forward with what God told me to do. Which, which leads to number three, misunderstanding. Now, I'm not being sexist. I'm just being truthful. Women, <sighs> women have a language that only they speak and only they understand. Men do too, but it's a grunt. <clears throat> I mean, how you doing? Good to see you. 
But women have their own code. And Rosetta Stone hasn't even figured out how to speak women. You can speak Chinese, you can speak Latin, you can speak Hebrew. Nobody can speak women unless you're a woman. Now, I'm, a, I'm what you call a southern gentleman. We're a dying breed, but some of us still exist. Like my father taught me and my mother taught me some things, like some rules. Like when you're with a lady and you're walking down the street, if you're a southern gentleman, you put the lady on the inside, right? And so if the car hits you, it hits you, and you just push her out of the way. But then somebody records you pushing her out of the way on Instagram, and you get in trouble. But anyway, so <laughs> it's just the world we live in. If you're a southern gentleman, you walk up to the door. What do you do for the lady? Open the door, which is, which is getting crazier because this time of year, if you hold the door open for the lady, you're like, hold a note. Yeah, just come on in. Yep, just come in. Like, they should put you on staff, right? And if you're from the north, it doesn't matter. You just slam the door in their face, and it's like, I'm just being honest. Southern gentleman always opens the car door for the lady. I told Karis, my daughter, I said, if and when I ever allow you to spend time with a male. If and when. And we were talking about this, and I said, if you come up to the door and he doesn't open it, what do you do? She said, what do I do? I said, you stand there. She said, what if he drives off? I said, you call me. I'll come pick you up. And then we will go to his house, and I will have a conversation with him because I'm a southern gentleman. We won't even talk about what a southern, southern gentleman does in that situation, right? So my mama taught me growing up, as a southern gentleman, if you see a woman who has a new hairstyle or hairdo, they, my mama and grandma called it a hairdo, you you make a comment. And I was always like, Mama, what if it's bad? She said, you say it's remarkable. <laughs> Which is true. It's worthy of a remark. I'm not going to share that remark with you. So by the way, if you got dressed for church today and somebody told you, you look remarkable, that's code for go change. <laughs> So we had this lady that worked at the office I was working in. She's real nice and sweet or whatever. And I walked in, and she had a different hairdo. Her hair was just different. It looked good. It was, it was poofy. Um, it was normally straight, but she looked like right before she left to come to work, she stuck her finger in an electric socket, and she was like, well, I don't speak women, but I'm a southern gentleman. And, and so I just said the first thing that popped in my mind, which is not the best thing to say. <laughs> I said, wow, your hair looks frizzy. <laughs> there are women in this room going, you should be killed. <laughs> I, I didn't know. I didn't know. And so she looked at me, this true story. She looked at me and she said, do you think so? I was like, oh, God, yeah, it's the frizziest I've ever seen. <laughs> she went to the bathroom crying. I'm standing there like. And there are women that still go, well, how could you say that? I'm like, it's, it's frizzy. They're like, Perry, you don't say that to a woman. Now I, now I just, I would have said it's remarkable. It was a misunderstanding. It was a misunderstanding. And all of us have had misunderstandings with other people. And many of us have, mis have had misunderstandings with God. I've talked to a lot of people that have walked away or wanted to walk away from God, wanted to walk away from Jesus or church or whatever, because of a misunderstanding. Because, and this is, and, and listen, I have fallen into this category, so I'm not condemning, I understand. It's like, because of the pain 
and the suffering that I've had to endure, how can I believe there's a God? And if there is a God, how can I believe he loves me? Because we believe that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And if bad things are happening to me, that means I'm bad, even though I was trying really hard to be good. And so I must not be good enough. So why even try? But at the end of the day, Jesus never promised us that we would never have pain and suffering. In fact, he promised us that we would. And he didn't promise to deliver us from it, promised to deliver us through it. And if you're in the middle of a storm, I know how it ends. Not specifically. But Jesus, Jesus models this for us. Watch this. This prayer, this prayer that Jesus prays, it's, it's the most common and overlooked prayer at the same time. The Bible says in Matthew 26, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground and praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. You don't hear a lot of people talk about that. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. If it's possible, if it's possible, see, I've heard preachers say this, maybe you've heard, Jesus went to the cross full of joy. Really? Really? How do you explain, don't let this happen? The joy came after the cross. You have no joy when you're being beaten, stripped naked, shamed, mocked, and publicly executed. So Jesus is saying, God, if there's another way, I'm in. But God, if this is the only way, I'm in. It's not my will, but yours be done. That's peace. That's peace. God, I'm going to trust you when times are tough. I'm going to trust you not because I'm not suffering. I'm going to trust you because I'm suffering. Because he knew how the story ended. Last but not least, dishonesty. You know, dishonesty will rob us of the peace of God. I was dating a girl one time in college. It was a rare occurrence. And uh, I went to... We, we had an argument on the telephone. You remember old school arguments on the telephone where you could hang up on each other? You, can't, you don't get that satisfaction anymore. You just push that red button and there's no joy in that. Even if you push it hard, they don't know. We need an app that has a phone slam, right? So I slammed the phone down on this girl, bless her heart. And um, so I slammed the phone, and, but, but we got things worked out, I thought. I went to pick her up for the date and we're driving down the, road and 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 right when I picked her up you know opened the door for her she got in the car she's sitting like this I said your day been good yep okay um anything good happened today nope and I said you know um I'm sensing a little bit of tension between us is everything like okay no, it's not. Okay, well, I, she said, I'm fine. <laughs> That's debatable. Um, I didn't say that out loud. I just thought it. thought it in my mind. And I said, listen, you're going to tell me what's wrong? Are we getting, she said, nothing is wrong if you can't figure it out. If you can't figure it out on your own, I'm not telling you. 
So I put her out of the car. Um, I'm just kidding. I just... <laughs> My thing was, if we don't get honest about this, the problem can't be resolved. You, you know what I'm saying? And it's the same with Christians. Have you ever met somebody that, meets, that speaks Christianese? You can't have a normal conversation with them? It's like, hey, man. How was the football game? I watched the football game. How was that? Oh, my gosh, I was at the football game, and I looked to my right, and I saw the sunset. And the sunset reminded me of the glory of God and the majesty of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I have the sword of the Spirit and the helmet of salvation and the armor of God, and my feet are shod with the gospel of peace, and I'm ready to share Jesus, brother. Did we win? Oh, I, like, Can we bring it back to the football game? But we've been taught, we've been taught for years, we've been taught for years in the church to be fake. Don't tell other people your problems. Don't tell people, and my God, don't tell God your problems. Be, don't be honest with God. Don't, don't question God. Don't tell God you're mad. Don't tell God you're angry. Don't tell God you're hurt. Don't tell God you feel bad because God doesn't want to hear any of that. That's what we've been told. And so we hold it in and we hold it in. But you know, until we get honest with God and honest with each other, there will never be peace. Jesus, hanging from the cross. Matthew tells us in Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Have you ever really heard that verse preached about? Is, is that honesty right there? Now, was Jesus abandoned by God? Yes or no? No. He wasn't abandoned by God, but he felt that way. There are people in this room that you have felt abandoned by God, but you've held it in. You've never told anybody. You've never told God. Jesus is modeling for us. You can be as honest and raw and real with God as you need to be. In fact, until you get honest, you cannot step into healing. Until you admit there's a problem, no healing can take place. Now, the funny thing about this is even in the middle of the storm, I would argue that Jesus had peace because he, knows how the story, he knew how the story was going to end. Even though he was in pain and suffering, he knew how the story was going to end. Because think about this for a second. Think about this. He was hanging on a what? Cross. A cross in the time of Jesus was used as an instrument for public execution. And today, it's used as a symbol of hope. Jesus made that change. And if he can do that with a bloodstained cross... He can do that with our messed up lives. I don't know the specifics of your story, but I know how your story ends because I know who's writing it. So no matter who you are, what you're going through, don't give up because what the enemy meant for evil, the cross, God used it for good, hope. And if he did it then, he'll do it again. So can we stand for prayer? Jesus, I want to thank you right now for every single person here, every person watching online. God, that we would know that no matter what is happening in our lives, you can take it 
and use it for the good. That no weapon formed against us will prosper. And God, that you are writing a greater story than we could ever, ever imagine.